0: Hello everyone and welcome to episode 11 of Hints for Healing, a podcast where we discuss multidisciplinary work that contributes to the healing of children and young people with refugee experience. I want to acknowledge that I'm recording on the land of the Gringai people and I pay my respects to the traditional custodians of this land, to their ancestors, their elders, past, present and emerging. And I also acknowledge the injustice that they've experienced and continue to experience and I recognise their resilience in the face of this. I'd like to extend a special welcome to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people tuning in today. I'm Nicole Lerr, a school liaison officer on the school liaison team at Starts, which is the New South Wales-based service for the treatment and rehabilitation of torture and trauma survivors. I recently caught up with Starts councillor Hassan Saleh, who holds a Bachelor in Translation from the University of Mosul, and is currently working towards a graduate diploma in counselling. Hassan talks about his early life as a Kurdish boy and young man growing up in northern Iraq, and how his commitment to learning, peace and justice brought him to the counselling profession. He goes on to share some of the intricacies of his experiences as a bicultural counsellor in Australia, and talks to us about how a music-based psychosocial group at STARTS has supported the recovery of adult survivors of refugee trauma. And all this before we wrap up with a chat about the intersection of human rights and animal rights. I do want to flag that this podcast does contain details that might be distressing to some listeners. And if you're tuning in from Australia and need support, please reach out to the crisis supporters at Lifeline on 13 11 14. Now, before we dive into the interview, your ears are in for a treat as Hassan and his son Barry were generous enough to put together a recording of Hassan playing the Oud and the Suz, especially for our listeners today. Hassan has been a hobby Oud and Suz player for the last decade or so and started taking the hobby more seriously since 2017. Today you'll hear him on Oud playing the music from a famous Kurdish song that was sung by Qadir Kaban in the late 1970s. It's called I Shami Shawan, You the Night's Candle. Hassan has also recorded his interpretation of another Kurdish piece, this time by Jiwan Hajjo, playing another lute-like instrument called the suz. We hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the Hints for Healing podcast.
1: Good morning, Nicole. Thank you for having me.
0: It's an absolute pleasure. So you're, of course, a counsellor at STARTS and you've been with the organisation since 2005, working with adult survivors of refugee trauma. And one of the many unique perspectives you bring to STARTS is your status as a bicultural counsellor. So I was wondering if you'd like to share a bit about your background in terms of um, where you grew up and what life was like for you as a young person.
1: Yes, sure. Um, thank you, Nicole. Um, look, I, uh, I was born in a, uh, in a very distant village at a uh, corner of, um, of northern Iraq, where the three borders um, of Iraq, Syria and Turkey um, meet. Um, so my first 10 years was in a village. Uh, in the village, I started going to school. Uh, look, I, I I really find myself uh, as a lucky person. Um, so one of the first things that I find myself to be lucky to have was when I was five, as a, my grandfather would say, um, we had for the first time school established in the village. And um, one interesting thing, uh, I think I had this tendency to want to know and to learn. Mm -hmm. Um, And before the school, I asked my parents to, I want to learn the Quran. So uh, I had a, I checked a big fight with them until they got me some uh, books um, where you can uh, learn Quran um, from the a cleric, there, like the mullah, but uh, I was lucky the school started when I was five. And um, interestingly, I uh, i enrolled myself on my own. I was uh, at uh, kind of like a playground, but where kids play, we don't have these playgrounds like here now mm. at the time. Uh, and I'm talking, I think, about 71 1971. Mm. Um, so we were playing, and uh, a man came to us, uh, kids, and said, "Oh, you know that uh, the teacher is coming today, and they're establishing a school in the village." So it was a single teacher who came walking from a, a nearby village, wow. um, because the village was very small. So the uh, our one was a bit bigger than theirs. So we had the, the the government decided to establish the school there. So I enrolled myself, and I uh, encouraged the friends who were we playing together, let's go and enroll. So uh, we didn't know even what the word enroll is. I think it fit uh, my like, earlier tendency to want to learn. So wow. it was something, I don't know mm-hmm. why it was something interesting, but uh, it, it seems like it was interesting for me to do that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then when I went back uh, home in the afternoon, I told my parents I enrolled in the school. They said, how? How did you do that? I said, well, I just, uh, well with friends and I encouraged them. We got together and when we went and they pushed me because we were all shy. So they pushed me in, in, to the front.
0: <laughs> wow, so driven from such an early age.
1: Um, yeah, it, <laughs> it's interesting to, to say that. So um, I think I was lucky because the school started then uh, where I learned for... Um, Five years, until year five, the government moved, uh, demolished the village and moved us out because of some uh, policies there. Mm-hmm. They call it Arabization, where they removed us and brought some Arabs uh, to to live in our areas. Yeah. Um, so it was interesting. It was 1975. I was 10 when I first saw the TV in, in the little town we moved to. And uh, I think I was uh, kind of self-dependent in my uh, learning at home, especially, because mm-hmm. uh, my parents were illiterate. They wouldn't know how to help me, except for I remember my father was helping me with the numbers and additions and subtractions mm-hmm. and the clock. How mm-hmm. <laughs> to say the time and know how the time goes. So Yeah, doing what he
0: could
1: yeah it was interesting um and i was uh, the first from the village who finished high school and the first to go to uh, university um uh, there was yeah and 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 finished university in uh, over a a, a double time of the university year so we we would usually do four but i had to Go for eight years because of this worst situation in the 1980s mm. in iraq mm.
0: so it was interrupted a
1: lot <clears throat> yes well the first year i um kind of didn't like the engineering course i was doing and mm. I, I just uh, i didn't want to the test and things and i just came down to translation so i studied bachelor of arts in translation from the university of Mosul. um <clears throat> And um, uh, that was, uh, so it took me from 1983 to nine, 1991 to finish, where I should have finished in 1980.
0: Yeah. And what did it mean to your family and your village that you were the first to graduate with a degree?
1: Well, I'm sure, uh, especially my father was proud, my mother, maybe she was, and I'm not sure. <laughs> um, uh even the villagers used to respect me a lot um, mm. because of that, uh, except for when I went to university, I uh, uh, became a leftist and a Marxist and a communist, communist, uh, which was not uh, very uh, welcomed in a Muslim culture, yeah, so. Mm.
0: Um, and why did you want to study translation?
1: Uh, I think I just love languages. Maybe um, I just thought uh, it would have me more chances of employment or better chances of employment than the engineering course I was doing, and I didn't like it to be honest. I mm-hmm. um, like the um, the the translation course. I was more enthusiastic about it and doing well uh, there, even though it was interrupted by two years of. Uh, exp- exp- Expulsion, we called, or I was expelled from the university because I didn't participate in the um, military training that uh, they decided for the students of the universities and high schools to do during the war with Iran to be ready to go to the war when we graduate. So I I refused to do it because of my lefty kind of trends and thinking. So. Uh, those who didn't participate, they were expelled. So I was expelled for two years between 1986 and 80, 88. And then I went back after, I went in 1989, uh, back after uh, there was some uh, uh, amnesty or something like that. where was Saddam uh, regime decided uh, people who were expelled can come back to, mm-hmm. to their studies. Um, well, I guess you didn't know that at the time. You didn't know if you'd ever be allowed back. Uh, no, no, I wasn't sure. And it was risky because I I didn't go to the university. I was expelled. I was supposed to join the army. I didn't do so. I was uh, mm. at home um, at risk of being caught at any time as somebody mm. was refusing army. and It was a serious, uh, serious crime by the government. Mm. Um, uh, but... Uh, Luckily, as being lucky, I was uh, able to survive
0: Yeah
1: in that, that uh, scary time. Uh, mm. It was really scary. Yeah,
0: I can imagine. Uh, Were you one of several that, that refused well planned, to participate?
1: Yes, uh, many, uh, especially from the northern of Iraq, where well, Kurdish areas mm. where we can hide at least. Yeah, and, and maybe a minority from the southern areas of Iraq where people hide in the marshes and things like that yeah um so and,
2: then,
1: and, and i graduated Turkey. in 1991 after i we we the kurdish uh, and, and many iraqis also became refugees hmm. um, because in 91 when america kicked the Saddamist regime from the kuwait from kuwait uh it's, it was the second gulf war that uh I'm not sure whether they call it the first or the second, because there was Iraq-Iran War and then the Kuwait War, we call it, and then the 2003. Uh, but uh, during the my last year of uni, so uh, I think we started until around uh, January. That's the middle of the year. Um, There was um, so Saddam was kicked, the war started, and then uh, we had to to stay at home, so all the universities stopped working. And in March, towards the end of March, there was this uprising, we call it, against the regime. So, because the regime was uh, kind of collapsing because of the uh, losing the war in in, in, in Kuwait. Um, So, we the Kurds, uh, we fought, and we uprose, and uh, we controlled our areas briefly until uh, I think uh, Saddam was able to send armies back to us. And we were kind of crushed.
2: Yeah. So, <laughs> so mm.
1: I, um, I had to, uh, to go to defend the population uh, in the last attack on us, where people fled to the borders of Turkey and Iran, and um, we stayed like a, I stayed in, in, in the refugee camps uh, in Turkey, and then back into Iraq. There was also there were they established refugee camps inside Iraq as well before we go to our homes. Um, so there, I started. Uh, that was my first experience working with refugees. As a translator? Um, As a uh, a translator, yeah, and um, helping uh, sometimes at at the uh, medical clinic that was established by some NGOs. I think it was Medicine Sanfo. Mm Sanfo. And uh, also with some other organizations, like part-time there, part-time there, uh, where they were helping. the camp we were living in with uh, some material and food and things like that. Um, so that's where I started working with the Kurdish refugee. I know I was uh, myself.
0: Yeah, supporting your own community. Yes. And what, what was that like for you, being being affected yourself, your loved ones affected, but also being part of supporting the community to increase their quality of life at that time?
1: Look, it was an uh, interesting experience, I would say. Um, uh, It was we were kind of in a survival mode, if you can uh, describe. Um, uh, So uh, it was a yeah, I I would uh, describe it as a tense experience because um, it was a quick, a very quick uh, run away from the army's uh, um, by this, by the regime, and and it was a very difficult experience crossing the border because the Turkish army um, would stop and they wouldn't allow people to go in, and we had to uh, stay a few nights before we enter. But um, working with the community was, you can say, it was interesting in in, in the way that you are helping the community and helping. Them communicate with the people from you know uh, uh, from NGOs who don't speak Kurdish. Um,
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: you can say I was witnessing a lot of things, you know, people's health going down, deteriorating, kids dying, and witnessing also a um, a uh, a graveyard in in that camp it was uh, like a valley a, within a mountain and I'd, every day i'd go and see the graveyard how quickly it was growing bigger and bigger especially That's with
0: terrific Hassan. i'm so sorry you had that experience
1: and, and things like that yeah it was interesting experience i'd say um as a witness but also mm. helping people and
0: yeah help
1: helping this, those agencies to support them. Hmm.
0: Was that somehow helpful to have some sense of being able to do something in such a horrific situation that you could help?
1: Definitely, it was very meaningful for me um, <clears throat> then. And then when now I look back, it was, uh, it was really a meaningful uh, experience. Uh, um, though it was brief, like it wasn't many months um, and then we have to move inside back uh, to be uh, uh, res- resettled in our own areas after some agreements. Uh, and so the- was
0: only after that that you started teaching in secondary schools when you moved back?
1: Yeah so when we came back uh, like we came back around June and I think um the university postponed the uh, the last exams were usually to be happening in June. Um, luckily, they, they postponed it to July. And uh, I was the last student to go back to my course, my class. And the first day I went back, um, I saw one of the teachers. And they said, um, uh, uh, your colleagues are having the test, the exam. Why don't you go and join them? And I said, Look, mm-hmm. I don't have anything. I've I've been away more than six mm-hmm. months now. And he said, No, no, don't worry. You go. I will help you. <laughs> <laughs> Another
0: little lucky streak there. Like...
1: Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> I think they. I think We're they. Uh, <laughs> I think they uh, considered that we have been away for like more than half of the year. So. Uh, they were kind of kissing us not in, in a harsh way mm. um, but uh, in that that less that subject i got my lowest mark i think it was in the 50s mm. um, but still i scored like the 14th over 70 students so it was wow. good. <laughs> <That's>
0: incredible <laughs> just such a long break and all the we,
1: adversity we, we had three classes that year so
0: there
1: mm. we were 70. Mm.
0: Mm, what a huge impact that that compassion and that um yeah the consideration that they gave for yeah,
1: you. Mm. Able mm. To attend. Yeah. So I'm 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 thinking <clears throat> like all my life until now there's a lot of it seems like luck but a bit of my effort as well in my life.
0: Mm. <laughs> yeah. And your grand you said your grandfather used to say that as well. He would he would notice those lucky breaks
1: uh he would notice my interesting interest in learning and uh, because i was uh, the the first grandson who I, i'm am his first grandson anyway
2: mm-hmm.
1: but uh, somebody who would, was interested in learning in education and reading quran and things like that was interesting for him sometimes we will sit down he will ask me questions about things happening in the world on experimental. and he was nodding with his head
2: mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: You already know when you graduated that you wanted to keep working with people with refugee experience, or was that still to come?
1: Like it wasn't something you would think of because you wouldn't know there are refugees. We Mm -hmm. didn't have refugees after we, so it was a um, a brief experience for us all. Mm -hmm. Um, We became internally displaced a few, a couple of times at least, not three times. Um When I was very young, um, so I think we were my first or second year of schooling, uh, army would come to our village um, and they were threatened to burn our homes. Uh, I remember once they took my father oh, they would take all the men from the village and they were threatened to burn our uh, homes. So somebody went into our roof and was pouring petrol to burn it, and my my mother and I and my sister were crying loud and screaming, <laughs> uh, pleading not to burn it because we don't have anywhere to go if they if do. Uh, so those this experience was twice. Um, and before that, there was a massacre in the nearby village in 1969. I remember that event as well. Had to uh, flee the village uh, in the night, crossing the Tigris River to another village um, that were linked to some people in our family, especially my own family. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, so these experiences were like a bit frightening for a child, like in my age at that time. Yeah. Uh, when I came to Australia, interestingly, look my my. My worst nightmares were related to um, airplanes bombings. Mm. I think that that was a trauma thing that I started when I was very young. Like um, in the village, uh, sometimes I'd take my grandparents' um, uh, lamb, little lambs, the baby lambs, mm-hmm. uh, to around the village, to to you know, to graze them. Mm-hmm. Do we say graze you? Yeah, for grazing. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah.
1: And And a few times I would be, like, um, surprised by this very strong, sharp noise of the aeroplane jets coming once yeah. in the other village that we fled to. They bombed uh, across the river as well, uh, fighting with some, I think, Peshmergus there. Uh, so the noise, uh, like, kind of stayed in my head, and even when I came to Australia, my worst nightmares were involving airplanes. But they resided as the time went, so I'm fine now. <laughs>
0: yeah. Do, do you think it was just through time that 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 stopped affecting you as much in nightmares, or? Um... I think.
1: I think. Um, yeah i think time does it's uh, but time has to have also uh, some stability i would say uh, mm.
2: uh
1: so you are not focused um uh, you are you, you are not experiencing a lot of stress and fear in in your your life so when you are worried about not having work not speaking mm-hmm. the language for other client for other refugees um that stress can uh, keep i think the trauma memories working more
0: yeah but once you're in a more predictable yes more stability i
1: think i think uh, i think from my own uh, trauma experiences um uh, like what uh, judith herman says um safety is very important Uh, Mm. yeah um you know being not stressed in your in your environment can help a lot yeah and when i say environment it's not only this uh, the, the environment in, in the wider community but also inside your own family as well yeah,
0: yeah. And, i mean you obviously came to the realization of the value of counseling and and you've now almost completed a graduate diploma in counseling so what was it that convinced you that this was um, a way to help people through trauma to pursue this profession
1: um look i think it it, it's another interesting thing um it wasn't on my mind that i'm going to work as a counsellor when i came to australia first um, i came across counseling through uh, schools more uh when they needed interpreters like community interpreters um uh, with especially a, a kurdish community so i came to know a beautiful lady a counselor at cabramatta mm-hmm. elizabeth pickering who contacted oh, wow. me <laughs> yes who contacted me just out of blue one day and asked me uh, do you speak Gurmanji? I said, yes, I do speak Germanji. Uh, she said, can you help us with a Germanji family? Uh, they want to enroll one of their children at uh, our IEC. And I said, yes, sure. And she said, please, um, I need to arrange a meeting um, with you. We will discuss things and then we'll see what we can do. Uh, and I said, oh, that's very interesting for me, I and mean, I was very excited to. And so I told her, "Why didn't you call me last year?" And she started laughing. <laughs> for the first year, I was struggling to find anything to do, like in terms of work. So I was studying a course, a full-time course at AIT Computers. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was my first like uh, encounter with counseling, uh, the notion, and all that. So. It wasn't all mind.
0: Another lucky break. You're yes, yes. yes, I I think yes.
1: <laughs> I think I'm very lucky, uh, I believe. <laughs> uh, so I started working there. Um, they employed me as a teacher's aid ethnic um, not only to oh.
2: translation wow. and things. Mm-hmm.
1: So I had a year working there full-time while doing my full-time course at the <laughs> uh and then it finished because the student i was working with uh, the kermanji student had to finish so it, it's offered only one year for used to be offered for one year only uh, the iec intensive english uh, uh, classes um so I, it wasn't on my mind that I, one day but i was interested in psychology i think it was i was challenged by it i tried to learn some counseling because i used to uh have tendency to learn something about everything uh, or anything and i tried psychology and i read a book in arabic and it was so complicated to my level of un- you know knowledge and, and understanding mm-hmm. i thought oh this is very complicated i would never learn this one yeah. but when i was here and i was hearing like about psychology and, and uh, listening to psychologists and counselors. It sounded okay, like uh, it was more understandable for me. So okay. yeah. it was. I was interested to do a degree in, in psychology myself, but I wasn't having the time because I had to look after my family and uh, yeah. and find some employment. And then I worked with uh, Wesley Mission's disability uh, support uh, for a couple of years and then came back to the Department of Education again as a Community Liaison Officer mm-hmm. uh, for a couple of years until uh, 2005. Um, I received an email while working as a uh, CA, uh, Community Liaison Officer. No, I, I, sorry, it was called Community Information Officer, not liaison. Okay. Um, so I received an email from, it was by starts employing a counsellor uh, preferably for having languages like Arabic and others mm. in a program called Personal Support Program,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, because I didn't have any qualification in psychology or social work, um, I I thought, oh, I'm, I'm not I'm not going to be able to apply to this one. So I, what I did, I replied to that email telling telling them or telling starts that these are my qualifications, these are my experiences and my training, uh, but I'm not sure whether I should apply. Mm-hmm. And then the coordinator then uh, of the personal support program was uh, Elizabeth Schaefer, mm-hmm. uh, another lucky person mm-hmm. for me, <laughs> for me to be lucky to meet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <another yeah. Elizabeth>. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and uh, my email was forwarded to her and she replied directly to me and she said look your uh, qualification experiences are all brilliant for us we need it please please apply
0: ah how lucky you were brave enough to at least write that email and look what it's led to (laughs) now we've had you for years and many years to come
1: yeah so i applied and i was accepted and i um, started learning counseling and uh, doing courses in counseling and then through that, I had a scholarship at ACOP to do a graduate mm-hmm. diploma of counseling, which uh, uh, I was studying and while working as a counselor. So it was a a good experience in that in that way, oh God, a good learning experience actually, because you are doing theory and you are working as well at the same time.
0: Exactly. Uh,
1: so you can apply, you, apply exactly. what you what you uh,
2: mm. what you're learning
1: directly. So. was much better than if you were doing just theoretical learning and Mm. or something Go back to doing
0: yeah it is so valuable and wonderful that you could fit it around your work and family commitments sounds like that was a good fit Mm. so tell me what it's like being a bicultural and a multilingual counselor because there's different elements of that compared to you know being some of us who are monocultural and, and speak only one language or don't share a language with our clients. What's that like for you?
1: Look, uh, it's another interesting thing to, to, to be in, or a situation to be in, um, both in, in a good way and also not maybe sometimes a challenging way, because it has its challenges, um, especially when you are a member of a small community mm. and people in the community could know who you are and, yeah uh, and uh, that way um, you know uh, when the community is very small especially if i'm talking about the kurdish community mm. uh, everybody knows everybody, kind of situation. Okay. Um, uh, it's, it's interesting that uh, you know um, many clients would feel much more comfortable to be talking in their own language because they feel there's a direct uh communication rather than via a via a interpreter um, Mm -hmm. who are doing great job uh, but sometimes they feel even if if the communication is is it's not so uh that is not uh, so problematic like uh the the interpreter would uh, uh you know translate most of the what's being said some clients would still feel not comfortable that they might it it might not have been uh, uh, interpreted exactly. exactly. Yeah. Um, so there are clients who prefer to um, to have their own language. Okay. Um, but there are also clients who know that it's their own language. They don't want to. Mm-hmm. So um, it depends on the client. Mm. Um, Uh, I think the issue of the boundary and cultural norms that we come with and having to apply the boundaries here can be challenging for most of us.
0: How do you manage that?
1: Uh, I guess I I try to explain to them that uh, this is what we do and uh, uh, we are not friends, especially when, or, or we know each other that much, uh, and we don't need to, um, you know, communicate in the community that we know each other in terms of being at the start, so you're being a client.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, I think that needs to be clarified.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, or I, we also need to let them know that, um, you know, because our culture, the presence and exchanging presence is, is very common um that's something a challenge when uh, a client offers a present to us and i tell them look i can't take unless it's something can be shared with the staff
2: and has to be something
1: very simple mm-hmm. um i had few clients who would be offended by that um but yes uh, look uh, there are challenges in terms of boundary when you're working with a small community uh and, and culturally, then the cultural norms uh, versus our boundary issues uh, can also
2: uh,
1: take time for the client to understand what we mean. Other things, I think it's, uh, it. I find like when I do things like um, uh, psychoeducation, teaching them about, you know, uh, psychological reaction or emotional reactions to stress and to, Trauma, um, I find it of benefit to be talking their language, especially Arabic. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think I'm more capable of talking Arabic than talking Kurdish, although Kurdish is my mother tongue, but my education was before Australia was all in Arabic. I see, yeah. Um, So I have the language, the terminology. In Kurdish, I'm a bit weaker than that, but uh, and also not only me, the client who so if, if it's coming from a non-literate uh, uh, background, it's difficult to make you know, the psychoeducation as simple as possible mm. for them to understand. I think mm-hmm. I find some challenge.
0: really interesting is um, all your experience facilitating groups for adults with refugee experience and um, you've run groups over the years in which music is a core focus of the group's activity. Um, I was wondering if you could tell us a bit to start with about how those groups got established.
1: I had uh, to support uh, a group uh, of a large uh, number for senior men from Middle East. Uh, which I still continue support them, um, and uh, my current uh, in my current role, I'm also running a group where I'm trying to use music uh, as for healing.
0: Um, so why of son? Why can they be so supportive of recovery from refugee trauma?
1: Look. Uh, They can be supportive, but uh, I think um, for many um, clients, uh, social isolation is a big part of their issue or or, or challenge uh, because of their symptoms, trauma symptoms. Uh, They cannot tolerate, the tolerance uh, goes down, so um, they cannot be with people and they prefer, uh, as time goes, to isolate themselves. And I think In that sense, um, groups can be very good and of benefit for them to to break that social isolation at least. And uh, they can also um, have a different experience where they can share uh, to some extent their experiences of uh, trauma, um, if I could say, and, and, and settlement challenges here. Uh, I think it's sharing is, uh, and knowing that there are other people like me who are suffering and struggling the same makes
2: it
1: easier for them. Um, learning, um, sometimes, uh, some psychoeducation can go very handy uh, in a group setting where people can share, oh, they, they can relate to this part or this uh, aspect of their presentation the challenges and where's they coping and, you know, sharing their coping things. Uh,
2: yeah.
1: And learning new strategies. I think it, it goes uh, well with beside the uh, individual counselling as well. So. Yeah.
0: So would most group participants also be attending individual counselling?
1: Many of them, yes. Like mm. uh, the the group I support, like the Middle Eastern men, uh, not many are. I know they are receiving uh, individual counseling because the, the, the group is, uh, is a very old group at Stars, and, and it continues. New people would join after having brief, uh, briefly, some counseling at starts. or so, um, they might be receiving counseling at Stars, and I wouldn't know. Maybe. <laughs>
0: yeah
1: because i i took it over i didn't establish it so uh,
0: yeah that makes sense yeah Mm. but
1: uh, my own group uh, that is music uh, it's a very small group Uh, we started as uh, four clients Uh, two of them were or three of them had stars counseling but uh, one of them just finished uh has treatment uh, with neurofeedback uh, then like I'm talking about an, a year and a half ago or more um, one one was my client and one wasn't a client at stars but very traumatized uh, person as well uh so we are uh, trying to use um something they love, which is music and singing uh it's uh it's 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 my uh attempt to link them with with a source of strength inside them where there's passion um and something they love to do Mm -hmm. Uh, so i'm trying to help them with that kind of linking uh, internal strength and, and passion for them to help them heal from you know the trauma that um, they have suffered, and the symptoms, they, they, they continue to suffer. Yeah, we have two-hour sessions. Uh it used to be weekly. Uh, after COVID, we stopped for some time, and when we were allowed to get back uh, uh, face-to-face in the office, um, because our number is very small, uh, so we came back fortnightly. Now it continues fortnightly. Uh, so they, uh, we agreed like it, it was... Uh, me and them together, uh, establishing what we want to do and what they want to do. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, it was kind of a joint group. We all uh, I'm kind of a participant as well.
2: Right.
1: Uh, more than a uh, facilitator. Uh, but but they respect that um, from a start and I'm um, a facilitator as well. So they will ask me opinion and things mm-hmm. around how they are going and all that. So uh, they wouldn't. Uh, disregard that aspect mm-hmm. uh, but uh, we agree that we will do the first um, hour um, doing some kind of training in, in music things that we want to learn like um, uh, reading music notes uh, some of them uh, had studied music, uh, one of them or learned it by hearing uh, uh but they wanted to learn more. So we, we designed the first part as a learning process or uh, experience. Um, and then um, the second part after a tea, um, we will, uh, uh, just everybody will uh, share whatever they want to play or sing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we join together and try a piece or a few pieces that comes up like sometimes not planned at all um, mm-hmm. it's just one of them who sings we will bring the song and then we will try to join into play mm-hmm. a lot of mistakes and things like that because we're not professionals anyway
0: <laughs> <laughs> but are you a hobby musician yourself
1: uh i love music uh from my early childhood i wanted to learn when i was i think near five or six but Culturally, in our culture, which you know, in, in, in coming from a village and tribes, um, it's they look down at music and people who uh, play music, they think it's only it's not for great tribal people, it's mm-hmm. only for gypsies. <laughs> so, my father wouldn't allow me to learn or to obtain mm-hmm. any instrument, and, and but it was something inside me that I want to
2: mm-hmm. at
1: least experience. Mm -hmm. and when i grew up i was able when i was able to buy one uh, i bought one instrument that i love at the time and uh, tried to learn you know just by watching some people playing Mm -hmm. um it stayed until i came here i took some uh, lessons with a professional musician but few of them because i was uh, working full time and doing some courses as well, and it was mm. difficult to find time, so gradually mm. I stopped and then i I depended on myself on YouTube just to develop some knowledge mm. of you know notation and things like that mm. and this
0: uh, this tribal sort of stigma against um, music learning uh, is that something that you encounter amongst clients as well that there 's some hesitancy to engage in music
1: uh clients nowadays i think is much they are in a much better situation than when i was uh, mm-hmm. even in iraq nowadays that kind of tribal thing is weak and it's not
2: okay.
1: i'm not lucky in that sense <laughs> i was like yeah. yeah i can have it all <laughs> uh, i think it's much better now a lot of people are going and learning music academically in in our area. There's an institution that provides uh, music uh, study. So it's uh, developed very well, and some wonderful musicians are coming up there. Um, Here in the community, I think people are much more open-minded than the time of my parents' tribal thinking.
2: Mm, so uh, and I
1: think I think uh, many kids can learn if they want to, and they would be encouraged by the, many of their parents. Like I cannot generalize that everybody is like that. But yeah. Really will do. Mm-hmm.
0: So you were talking about how the impact of a, a music-focused group is valuable because it connects people to um, something positive um, from you know perhaps before uh, traumatic events affected their lives what other benefits are there to coming together uh, to experience rhythm together to sing together are there more benefits
1: i think it's um, the greatest benefit is um uh is sharing something they all love mm. they're very passionate about it's it's music is a another way of communication and a powerful way of communication when it's not only you're uh, expressing things by telling, oh, I've done this, or I've done that, but
2: mm-hmm.
1: you are uh, singing songs that can express your experiences as well and and, mm-hmm. and and a wide range of feelings and emotions involved and expressed in play, in singing, and, and, and that that I find a very powerful. Mm-hmm. And the medium, you know, the, 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 the voice itself and, and the sounds of the instruments the medium is is a is a very uh, special medium it's not like i'm talking about something Mm -hmm. um the feelings involved the passion involved it's i find it very fascinating Uh, although i haven't been able to evaluate things Mm -hmm. clinically if i could say um to see the impact but Mm -hmm um i i believe it's a powerful medium of you know people connecting with each other through a very uh passionate media yeah no
0: i agree with you son and yeah. also i find that you can't you can't avoid but breathing a lot deeper when you're singing
1: yes and
0: being soothed by rhythms and varying rhythms to suit you know what you exactly need. exactly
1: yeah. um Yes. Um, so um, there are studies about, you know, music therapy, I think, I'm, I'm not a music therapist, so I'm, I'm just trying to experience using music um, for people who love music and play mm-hmm. music, some of it, and uh, sing uh, to see how um, it affects their healing. And I think uh, it's, it's a great help in that sense.
0: Hassan, you and I have talked quite a bit in the past about the overlap between our commitment to human rights as well as animal rights and how they both relate to social justice. And I was doing some research before our interview today, um, looking at other work you've done in the media, and I saw you've been interviewed by SBS Kurdish about your dietary choices. So I was wondering if um, you'd like to tell us about what led you down the path of starting to see animal rights as a social justice issue as well.
1: Interesting question.
0: <laughs> it's a big one, I know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Look, I think I think uh, for me, um, even counselling fits well with, you know, somebody who grew up in a non-very uh, stable environment in terms of peace, uh, justice, oppression and things like that were like experiences of the community where I come from. Uh, Even from before I was born, and then it continued throughout my life. Uh, uh, But uh, and coming to counseling as well, I think um, uh, you can look at it as you know something. Where where does it come from? It has, I think, its it's roots in 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 the community suffering trauma. I think I would think so, but I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, then uh, possibly my experience helping the refugees when I was a refugee myself
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, you know you can see uh, also the helping thing the impact of helping others on yourself possibly yourself also as a vulnerable person um, mm-hmm.
2: uh,
1: and who experience injustice fear trauma and everything else I can link it to my experience, but uh, the justice part of it was, you know, I think uh, we as a community, Kurdish community in Iraq, we don't feel justice because Mm. we we grew up in in a a culture that tells us, look, we deserve to have a country, but Mm. they deprived us from it. Mm. And we were always in fights Mm. uh, with the governments around us, and they were oppressors and
2: Mm -hmm.
1: pressing us and uh, I think that sense of, you know, not having justice mm-hmm. um, grew up, gr- grows up in, in you, if you. Yeah, know, that, I understand. Mm-hmm. That kind of thing. Uh, when I was younger at university, I became a lefty. So was also another, uh, I think, um, area where I could see there's more justice in what I was um understanding as to be justice then Um, Mm -hmm. and uh, but i think uh, the the love for justice to happen to everybody was uh, Mm
2: -hmm. always
1: there and is still there that i'm a bit a bit of you can say activist
2: Mm.
1: um still a bit of some traces of lefty things in me being (laughs) environmental
0: (laughs) you take care of those traces
1: (laughs) Yeah, so it went also to to include environment when when we came to Australia and we have all this uh, talk about environment and
2: mm-hmm.
1: having the Greens this uh, a strong party in Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, I started, you know, meeting people who are vegetarian or vegans, and I was also thinking and contemplating about okay, what it is. Uh, mm-hmm. And I reached a stage where I thought, okay, um, I think I'm going to be hypocrite if I continue Mm
2: -hmm.
1: having meat or, you know, flesh of other living beings, Mm -hmm. Uh, especially those we conceive as, do we say sentient? Yeah, sentient,
0: yeah, so feeling pain and emotions,
1: yeah. And emotions and... Mm. Uh, it, it just struck me there and I said, oh no, I'm, I'm doing wrong. And mm. I was eating a dish, a soup at a Turkish restaurant. Mm. And I said, oh no, this is ugly. Mm. And I just stopped there. That's it. Mm. It, started. Was, it was a very mm. sudden thing.
0: Decision. Mm. Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, I continued having uh, animal dairy and egg products, but um uh, considering the know the 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 way the farming is being done and uh, thinking about you know the suffering of the animal, uh, even if they are not killed for meat, still I felt it was ugly for me to continue. Mm. So I stopped. Uh, Has stopped. it brought
0: you more peace?
1: Uh, <clears throat> I'm, I'm sure it it did. Um, you feel. More light in your body, you feel more um, balanced with you know how you how you think and what you're doing, um, and and also you know you don't feel heavy when 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 you are eating something like from animal, it's much heavier for the body to digest. So in that sense, that lightness gives you a peace of mind as well. You know you're not contributing to the torture of of animal and killing mm-hmm. of animal,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, where you know they suffer like us, they feel like us, and they want to live like us.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I sometimes just imagine a fish when it's caught on a hook, uh, how much it it tries to to escape, and the panic that mm-hmm. it feels like. I, I can feel the the panic inside there. The fish is the same when if I am or my my child or somebody else is is mm. um, is knowing that they are going to die, you know the yeah. panic and the stress and you can feel it
0: yourself. Yes. Mm. So yeah.
1: I think that that's the mm. reason for me. I also developed, you know, I was trying to put some philosophy around it, like. Um, we are an sp- animal species before we would think we are different.
2: actually
1: yeah. growing up in an in 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 environment where humans are humans.
2: Mm.
1: Animals are animals, you know. We are humans and like high stage and mm. animals go down. And, um, but for me to study and to learn, I'm like realizing that we are another animal species. We are indeed. And, and thinking about how we are uh, in life, um, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, what is it that makes us better than other animals? They are more peaceful than us. They can kill, but they don't kill as we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't kill each from the same species as much as many people as we do. We mm. kill in thousands and sometimes can get to millions in our wars.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We don't only... Kill animal, we kill ourselves as well.
2: Mm-hmm. So I was thinking,
1: oh, we are not better than any animal. Actually, mm-hmm. we are the worst species amongst all animal life in, in, terms 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 of,
0: how, in terms
1: of destructive of you know everything you know the trees, mm-hmm. the environment, mm-hmm. the, even the air. Mm-hmm. Um, our civilizations, we think they are great because we are technologically advancing them so much. Mm-hmm and we can fly and now we are going to thinking of invading the space, unfortunately. (laughs) Um, So we think great of it, but if you uh, ecologically look at it, it doesn't feel great for the environment at all.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. It's actually very destructive. Yeah. Our concrete, our smoke, our farming, the methane that's produced, all Mm -hmm. these gases that, Block uh, temperature in, in the atmosphere and doesn't let it out.
2: Mm.
1: So global warming uh, happening. Yeah. All so I thought, ah, oh, I think maybe we are delusion to think we are better. And I would uh, think, you know, some activists like they would brought this uh, triangle where they put the human at the top and all the animals uh, at the bottom. Mm. Um, uh, and they say, oh, we are uh, at the top of the uh, food chain. And actually, we should make a circle instead of triangle and put yeah. people somewhere in the middle of everybody. Oh.
0: That's so well put.
1: Yes. <laughs> in, it was,
0: in a circle.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it was, it it was, be it was beautiful.
0: <laughs> I was wondering, though, Hassan, because I couldn't, um, because I don't speak, I couldn't listen to that um, SBS. Uh, interview but um, if I understood correctly meat is uh, a culturally an important part of the Kurdish diet so how did you navigate those cultural pressures?
1: Yeah um, look I'm lucky I'm not in Iraq so it was easier for me to do it here Uh, Mm -hmm. but uh, whenever there is a community activity or function and there's dinner or lunch involved and i'd go to the queue and i would look just for non-meat uh, dishes to pick up something and they'll say oh uh, you're not eating any where's your food i said well i'm having this one sometimes it's, it can be just salad or rice
2: yeah <laughs> <laughs> sure,
1: <Camilia. laughs> and they say um uh why why are you not eating there's chicken there's uh, meat there's everything I say, no i'm vegan i don't eat these things and they say, what they just their eyes go on what you're kurdish yes <laughs> <laughs> or oh, you're iraqi you're middle eastern and uh, yeah. that's interesting mm-hmm. now why don't eat and they ask questions and mm-hmm with friends they they try to tease as well but mm. for, for you know a joke or something and sometimes mm. I, I struggle not to not to respond in a strong way mm. <laughs> sometimes i do uh, deep <laughs> <laughs> sometimes the teasing gets you and <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh, you feel a bit uh, reactive uh, yeah uh which is not very good, but uh, anyway, I survived, you know, the teasing and the things. Uh, uh, people gradually respect it. Uh, mm. uh, after they think about it, I think mm. for me, being somebody vegan, when they meet me, they start thinking about it, you know, as something, oh, there are people who don't eat mm. meat for, you know, sake of being passion and justice and all those things, you mm. know philosophy around it i think uh, the community is now more understanding of it uh, mm-hmm. especially my circle of friends and community that i interact with mm-hmm. um, yeah gradually i think yeah. people are increasing slowly mm-hmm. in that sense yeah some people yeah, try the environmental
0: for some... <laughs> have been great over the last few years i've noticed
1: yeah some people will try it for some time and then they miss their uh, their meat and that they were addicted to, they go back again because I think the philosophy is not as strong.
0: Mm. Yeah. 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 Hassan, it's been such a delight talking to you and thank you for being so generous with um, sharing your experiences and knowledge. And Is there anything you'd like to share before we wrap up today?
1: Uh, thank you, Nicole. Uh, it was uh, great to be with you.